So this past Friday, I was doing Mass to the Missionaries of Charity. Now, for those of you who don't know, the Missionaries of Charity are the sisters that Mother Teresa founded to serve the poorest of the poor. We're very blessed in this city to have four of them, and they work over in a more impoverished area of our town, and they work especially with the neighborhood children. And after Mass, after I said Mass for them, one of the superiors came up to me and said, Father, can you pray for our kids? And I said, sure. Honestly, this doesn't happen much. They usually don't come begging for prayers about this stuff. They usually got the prayer thing pretty covered. I don't think they trust me to pray very hard because they're pretty good at it themselves. And so I asked, so what's, what's been going on? And they said that their kids have been influenced by things lately by, like Ouija boards, Reiki, and yoga. Not the exercise kind of yoga, but rather more the Buddhist and Hindu meditative yoga. And then whenever they take their kids, the neighborhood kids, into their chapel to do a holy hour, what they find is these kids are actually doing these yoga postures for prayer. And they were extremely concerned about that. But the question is, why? Why are they that concerned about kids doing these Eastern meditative practices? Why is it these missionaries of charity, most of which, quite honestly, are from a Hindu area, that most of them are from India, why are they so opposed to their kids mixing in with this stuff? And the answer is really quite simple. Because Buddhistic and Hindu meditation stands in direct violation of today's gospel. Direct violation of today's gospel. Because today's gospel, Jesus looks at his disciples Jesus looks at his apostles and he tells them, not only just them, and he says to everyone, what I say to you, I say to all, watch. Watch. And that is something that Buddhistic and Hinduistic meditation absolutely rejects. The idea of watching. Something that's absolutely key to our Christianity. Christian prayer, Christian life, Christian everything is all about watching. Watching and waiting for the second coming of Christ. The first coming of Christ happens at Christmas. What we're actually waiting for in a sense. It happened 2,000 years ago, quietly, silently, in a cave in Bethlehem. But whenever the second coming comes, there will be no silence. It will be loud, it will be clear, and there will be no doubt that Jesus is there. And if we're caught sleeping, which arguably Buddhistic meditation encourages, we won't make it. It'll be over. That's exactly what Jesus warns us about. May he not come suddenly and find you sleeping. But what do I mean whenever I say that? How do I know exactly, being me being a Catholic priest, not exactly a Hindu priest, how do I know that Eastern meditation is all about Sleeping, not really paying attention. Why do I make this claim that Eastern meditation is completely self-focused and completely looks in on ourselves and completely ignores what's outside of us? Why do I make that claim? And the answer is simple. Look at their statues. Go to a Chinese restaurant and take a good look at a Buddha. It's clear. 
The man has had a lot to eat. He's decked out in some nice jewelry. And his eyes are always closed. Always. That's what Christian, excuse me, that's what Eastern meditation seems to focus on. Closing of the eyes, focusing on themselves, and blocking out the rest of the world. And yet, how different is that from our statues? Guys, our statues are not about overweight, sleepy people. Every single one of our statues has their eyes open. Look at St. Mary. Look at St. Joseph. Look at Jesus. Every single one of them has their eyes wide open. They're not closed in on themselves. Because they know that life is more than about ourselves. That life isn't about just self-fulfillment, self-pleasure, self-whatever. Boring. They know that life is all about standing and watching. Watching and waiting. Looking outward outside of our own personal agendas and seeing what God has in store for us, recognizing that we are not the end-all and be-all. No way. If we are, then life stinks. There's nothing to it. There's no adventure. There's no fun. There's nothing to seek at all. If we are the end-all and be-all, then we might as well quit because there's nothing more to it. But Christianity says, no way. No way. Christianity says that life is so much more than us. That God has so much in store for us and that God is coming back. He's coming back to unite you and I back to the Father. He's coming back to summon us to be the best human beings that we could possibly be. To live out our true identities, not as selfish, overweight people, but rather as sons and daughters of God. That is the purpose of Christianity. And dare I say, that is the purpose of Advent. Advent is a time of joyful waiting. Waiting on the coming of Christ. That's why I wear purple, because we are sitting in penance and in prayer, waiting for what is to come. It's a time of preparation. It's a time of anticipation, especially for the first coming, that is Christmas. Christmas. And the way in which we can prepare the way in which we can open our eyes to the coming of Christ are three ways, threefold. The first way is in prayer. My friends, in prayer, you and I open our eyes to the second coming of Christ. In prayer, you and I, in a sense, do exactly what Jesus is telling us to do in the gospel. You and I watch. Prayer is all about watching. Christian meditation is not about closing our eyes and falling asleep on ourselves and seeking to eliminate everything else. No, Christian meditation is all about opening our eyes to the gifts and the beauty that God has bestowed upon us so that we might be ready for what's to come. So that we might be ready for what God wants to give us. For what God wants to give us. That's the first way to prepare, is pray. So I encourage you this Advent season, every day commit to prayer. Whether it's a decade of the rosary, a full rosary, 10 minutes of silence, 15 minutes of silence, reading a scripture passage every day, whatever. Do something though. Do something to integrate this essential Christian principle 
of watching and waiting. Do something to pray every day. The next way to open our eyes and to counter the cultural tendency to feed ourselves, to pleasure ourselves, to pamper ourselves, and then end up looking like Buddha statues, the next way to prepare for the coming of Christ is to fast. To fast. Notice that our statues seldom ever glorify an indulgent body. Someone who had just fed their passions their whole life. Nine times out of ten, statue, Catholic statue that you're going to look at, it's probably going to be a skinny person. In fact, dare I say, there's no better Catholic statue in the world than a statue of St. John Vianney. I don't know if you ever, guys ever seen a statue of St. John Vianney. That'll be your homework. Go look up, your, look up on your phone, not during Mass, but maybe after. Google St. John Vianney. You'll see that the man is wearing some nasty clothing, he's super skinny, and he's pretty much pretty ugly. I mean, he is not an appealing person. Well, the thing about St. John Vianney that makes him so amazing, despite his not necessarily great appearance, is the fact that his eyes are wide open. Wide open. And dare I say, it's because he did not live that self-indulgent lifestyle. Because St. John Vianney, the patron saint of parish priests, a man who lived in the 1830s, who rejected the pleasures of life in so many circumstances, lived only for God. And that's the second way we can prepare for the second coming. To learn how to fast. To let go of that food that we love so much. And there's many different ways we can fast. We can either give up meat on Fridays, we can give up dairy all, Lent, all Advent, we can give up meat all Advent. We can give up fish, we can give up sweets, we can give up soda, whatever. My encouragement is to give up something and give up something to do with food. Guys, by food we fell. Food brought Adam down to his knees. So then it's by food that we can rise especially by learning to reject those foods that drag us down, those things that are just way too sweet, those meats that are just way too filling and way too delicious, that dairy that just is something that just like ice cream that we just cannot stop eating. If we can learn to temper that, to fast from that, then, my friends, you and I will be ready for Christmas. The problem a lot with our secular celebration of Christmas is that we indulge so much beforehand that by the time Christmas rolls around, we're like, forget it, I'm done. I can't take this anymore. I can't eat any more peppermint sticks. I can't chat out on any more gingerbread. I cannot deal with any more food, which is ridiculous. Why do we have that feeling whenever that's the time we should be celebrating? Guys, celebrating Christmas before it's actually arrived is like dropping by McDonald's on your way to a dinner party. It ruins. <laughs> Thank you, brother. <laughs> totally ruins your appetite. Totally loses your focus. It's totally a, a, just an absolute killer. Do not drop by McDonald's on your way to a dinner party. Do not forget to fast on the way to Christmas. Otherwise, you'll ruin your appetite. You ruin your appetite not only for for real food, but for also for spiritual food, physical food or spiritual food. 
And the final way, and this is the easier or the simpler one, is almsgiving. So prayer, fasting, almsgiving. Almsgiving is just simple. Give your money. Give your time. Give your talent. But whatever you give, give it in abundance as much as you can. And there's two real places, two real institutions or two things you can give to. First, the poor. The poor could always use your help. We have, a, we have a great service center here in our diocese, the Catholic Service Center. You can always give to them. Fantastic group to give to. The other one, give to the church. My friends, Jesus is in two places, that is the poor and the church. Whenever Matthew 25, whenever he separates the sheep from the goats and he says, did you feed me? Did you clothe me? He was talking about the poor. And whenever Paul fell down off of the horse, Jesus said, why do you persecute me? He was talking about the church, the poor and the church. Those are two places in which you can give alms and truly further the kingdom of God, where you can minister to Christ's physical body here on this earth. So my friends, as we go forth today, beginning the Advent season, beginning the short time, 22 days before Christmas, 23 days, 23 days, excuse me, before Christmas. As we begin that, may we take this wonderful opportunity to allow our bank accounts to go down in almsgiving, to, our, to allow our bodies to be thin from fasting, but most importantly, to allow our eyes to be wide open, praying and watching for the coming of our Lord.